Hello and welcome back to Systems Within Systems presents The Way of Violent Realization. Today we have a special guest, Dong Lai Gong, Professor of Oceanography at William & Mary. Dong Lai, tell us something about yourself. I am a uh, Sifu student from first started 11 years ago when I was a graduate student at Rutgers University and there's, that's where I got my both undergraduate and graduate degrees. Um, unfortunately I had to leave in 2010 and now I'm going on a journey by myself uh, but every once in a while I'll come back and Train. see everyone here and, uh, and uh, get, get encouraged again to uh, practice more and then um, practice uh, go back and try to remember all my forms <laughs> <laughs> so that's my connection to Kung Fu and Shifu here so, so uh, you were, there's a difference. I keep introducing you as a marine biologist. That's not what you are. That's no. just something that's just very easy for me to say because I've been hitting the head a lot. Yeah. So when, what, what exactly are you? So it's a common misconception. It doesn't matter what we do as an oceanographer, whether we are a biologist, chemist, physics person, or geologist. Uh, most commonly, people will call us generically marine biologists, and um, but and that's not what that's you not are true. at all. Yes, uh, but you do. You're in contact with marine biology, like all those people yes, you just mentioned. I work mentioned. with marine biologists on certain things, uh, but I am a oceanographer, and or you can call me a marine scientist, and I work mainly on the physical side of things, which related to how the water moves, why. The w why the water is moving a certain way, the dynamics of the ocean, the dynamics of the rivers and estuaries. So, um, so it's very much the physics of the ocean. So how does that affect us? Uh, the physics of the ocean directly drives, uh, is, is it, the ocean is a big part of Earth's climate system, and the physics of the ocean drives how the ocean moves, which in turn affects Earth's climate. So that's one direct way where the ocean physics can uh, affect um, everyday life in terms, you know, how our how our climate and weather may be changing. The atmosphere and the ocean are coupled. So what's going on right now, way offshore in the Atlantic Ocean, maybe a tropical storm forming. A few days later, it moves this way, and there's a reason why dynamically it moves from the from the east to the west across the Atlantic Ocean and then come up the coast and again that's all physics why uh, it's going this way and uh, uh, hurricanes going to affect a lot of people when it hits land. So so you kind of and also work with government officials for like, a earn, like an early warning besides like these buoys they have out there that say hey like what Thailand got hit with uh, yep. some years back um, and now they have these buoys out there uh, so that really monitor like okay, there's, there's this massive wave or yep. something heading that way, and they give like an early warning. Right. But you're even earlier warning than that. Well, You're ahead of that saying, okay, the weather and this stuff's yeah. got to affect this and can cause this, man, you know, this monsoon to be, be coming this way. Earlier right? in the sense that we are focused on the, the knowledge and the uh, explanation behind why uh, things happen. And this is what you need in order to design these early warning systems and models that the government uh, implements and build to do practical um, forecasting. Are we ready? Mm -hmm. Okay, so practical forecasting is great. But what I really uh, like to know more about what you do, you know, how does what you do affect nature? Not you know, early warning systems and all of that. I understand that that's important. You know, it, it saves lives or tells people to evacuate and all of that. And that's all part of this whole team that everybody's working together on. <clears throat> but when you're out there and say, um, you're looking at what is directly affecting our environment, what's directly affecting our oceans. Like if we kill, we wipe out our tuna Right, and if, 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 I don't know if that's what you deal with or not. So the tuna are gone. So those are predators, and predators follow the tuna. So those predators are gone that aren't eating other things that are now evolving into other things. Does that 
also have something to do with what you're doing or if we're running out of plankton or is there certain um, you know things that are going on in the ocean that you guys are keeping track of that are early warning systems on where we're heading in our or how that directly is going to affect a human race like if we run out of tuna is that going to bring less sharks or we run out of sharks then the sharks are not no longer around and other things are getting eaten and other things are evolving more or I mean are you guys keeping a track of that and how will that directly affect uh, not just the, the, the fishing industry you know but how will that affect us as as human beings like will our oceans tell us what we should be warned about what we're doing if we're over polluting if we're if a certain uh, you know, biological, chemical things that are floating in the ocean aren't there anymore and aren't producing anymore. Uh, do you guys do the studies in that? Are you with the group of that? It's got to be more than just early warning systems, you know. Uh, Sifu, you touched on um, very important things that we do, we do work on. And you, you kind of answered your own questions. There were... Uh, um, there are important changes, like you said, that's happening in the marine, we use the word ecosystem that describes all the organisms within the marine environment. And we have already, over the past 100, 200 years, ate most of the big fish in the ocean. You may have heard that before. However, like this hardly swordfish. Yeah. You know, or 80 to 90% of the big fish is gone in the ocean. Right. We, we fish them all. So um, uh, I'm not a fisheries person, I'm not a fisheries biologist, so I cannot directly comment on specific scientific studies in this area, but um, just based on my conversation with colleagues and, and, and people who are more knowledgeable about this, uh, what, you, what you eat at the top of the food chain and what you eliminate at the top of the food chain will affect lower part of the food chain. And, um, and, and so on, we'll, 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 we'll keep on going downward. So uh, what was once a, um, a fish served in a restaurant, maybe 20, 30 years ago, may not be available today. Um, and there were fish that people would not even think about eating 20 to 30 years ago, maybe very popular today. Well, so, like uh, Mako. I had my friends, they were fishermen, and... Uh, and they would go out and they would catch tuna. And Mako followed tuna. Mm -hmm. And you had McDonald's and Burger King uh, waiting for them at the docks, not to buy the tuna, yep. to buy the Mako. And back then, Mako was not popular, but that's what they put in the fish fillets because it tasted the same. And now Mako became a very popular fish. And now that's following, uh, is, is, is becoming more extinct. Yep. Because now Mako shark is, is considered a delicacy. Mm -hmm. uh, when back then it was considered, you know, garbage fish. Yep. But that's what uh, McDonald's and Burger King were buying from them. Exactly. And uh, maybe mixing it with some other type of fish, but that's what, they, that's what people were eating back then, thinking that, oh, it's filet, but yep. they would sell all the mako to, uh, to these companies and whatever other companies that was there. They weren't buying the tuna. Yeah. And now, you know, there's less tuna, and, uh, and now there's even less mako. You know, and uh, so that directly affects uh, what's going on there. I mean, and that doesn't really have anything to do with what you do. T to an extent, it does. But the care, but the fish, any kind of fish would care about the, what's what's the environment in the ocean like. Just like we want to be comfortable. There's a optimum today. Temperature was perfect in the 70s, maybe low 80s. There's a comfortable temperature for fish as well. Yeah. And 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 if you change their environment, um, not you, but if their environment change for whatever reason, then they'll either be forced to move or they're they might just die there. Well, so I mean, it's not just temperature. There can be things like temperature, uh, sorry, uh, oxygen level in the water. That's a, another big factor that can affect the fish. Um, and availability of food. There could be uh, lost food at one time or for one season, and then suddenly something happened that year. Maybe lost river discharge, or 
um, uh, orders of current that, that, that shifted, its, shifted its path. Suddenly, food is not as available, and whoever used to live there in terms of, especially the fish that lives on the bottom, that don't move very well, they can be very affected for those, by those types of changes. Well, seafood, didn't you have aquarium fish for a long time? You were just complaining to me, uh, I guess a while ago, about how big a pain in the ass it was to keep the pH balance, to keep the oxygen levels mm -hmm. right. And you're like, the, these fish, they're so fragile. Like, in one sense, they're tough fish. They can be tough, like, physically. Yeah. But just just a little shift in the pH balance or the oxygen level, or what you're talking about, the food source, yeah. and all these things. Yeah, it is. Um, and there are some very tough fish, like yes. African cichlids. They are just a tough fish. Yeah. You could just use tap water with those things. They survive in everything. Yeah. That's why I went to African <laughs> They were great. But salt water, it's cool, but now you have water But if they technology. eat something that's more sensitive to the any of the other right. environmental factors... You could end up losing the cichlids because it would have made. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if there's any bacteria, so you still took care of it. They were just right. I mean, you fish, never wipe you know? out all life forming ocean. Uh, I mean, like, I can't see scenario like where you, you may, but for uh, for the most part, it's very, very unlikely that will happen. But at the same time, but if you lose your tuna and you lose your mako, then other things are coming stronger. Yep. And therefore, it also depletes other uh, fish that ate. Those fish, yep. and then other fish take over. And so the ecosystem will change. It, it, it changes. It changes. And that directly, it now, what I'm saying is, it's like what you got, like you launch these uh, torpedoes that take robots. data. Robots. Robots. All right, torpedo robots. They look like torpedoes <laughs> to me that move very slowly and take all this data on the, in the yes. ocean and information. And, okay, so the changes that are happening in the ocean now, mm -hmm. not just about fish disappearing or whatnot. No. Because... That just affects our diets. You know, really, like the humans are just, oh, I can't have tuna anymore. I can't have mako anymore. Now I got to eat something else. That's that right. is compared, or we got to mix it with something. But how does that affect, how does that affect mankind? Mm -hmm. Not what's on the plate. Yep. You know, like if certain, like if we, plankton is disappearing, you know, because of current changes and stuff like that. Less whales. Are, are, are moving around. Uh, less dolphins, you know, fish mm -hmm. that, are, are, that are considered killer whales that are considered in, intelligent uh, animals. Um, that is definitely a loss to us. But what is anything that you are doing besides, you know, things coming to the plate and seeing that, how does that directly affect humankind. Okay. And I don't mean, I'm not talking about early warning systems. Yep. You know, I, I understand the human race cares about itself and we don't want to wipe out ourselves by a, a tidal wave coming and destroying us or whatever it is. And all that is every, everybody's together on. You know, uh, whether Are you I'm talking eating, about the nature? Yeah, whether I'm eating a fluke or a tuna and I don't have access to that anymore because we are stupid enough to wipe them out. And, you know, I know something about fish farming and you can't raise tuna on a fish farm, you know, you need, you need the oceans to do it, so we will lose those fish, certain fish you can, and we'll just going to have to substitute other fish that are raised by, hopefully, private, you know, good fish farms that you're getting good quality fish, but there'll be less free-range fish and more, uh, you know, uh, farming fish, and we're just going to have to bite the bullet at that. Uh, and that's just human ego, you know, like, oh, I can't get to eat my tuna, you know, because we were so stupid enough to over, you know, take them and they no longer exist. Does anything that you do have any effect on our climate as far as environment, our ozone, our measuring what's going on with the waters? What's got, how does that directly affect the human race? So there... There are two ways of looking at nature. One is... <coughs> nature, that's what we got to talk yeah, about. Nature. So one way is what does nature can do for us as humans? Right? That's the way that most of us approach nature. If nature is not going to affect you in any way, you may, most of you may not care that much about it. But there's a second one, which is we care about nature just because what nature is and how it is. Um, and you can, you know, think of in terms of how the beauty of nature or the intricacy of nature or, na or what nature has to teach us as we 
go through our existence. Um, and that goes to why we exist and, and learning and all that, but we're not going to go into that right now. But in terms of, so if you go to the first category, how can nature affect us from an oceanic perspective? There are uh, several ways that the ocean is changing that can potentially have large impact on humans. And that is? The first one is sea level rise. And sea level rise is, is a direct consequence of warming in glacial areas where, in, globally, but in glacial areas, warming results in melting of ice that is on land. And now, and as they melt, they enter the ocean. So they simply are, they're simply putting more water, literally, literally into the ocean. As a result, you're raising the height of the ocean. So, so, so new beachfronts. Not necessarily, no, not new beachfronts. Because the old beachfronts will disappear. The beachfront is moving, yes. So there are a lot of areas where there's a very gentle slope where the city at the coast is and the inlet. So a very small change in the height of the ocean, the sea level, can result in big area change in terms of land availability. So it's slight to the ocean is not slight to us, our land. So and many cities around the world are located right at that um, peak, at the edge where where the water moves a little bit, the city will be overwhelmed. Example would be city like uh, New Orleans, uh, New York City, um, and globally there could be cities in uh, uh, Bangladesh, for example, Shanghai, in uh, Venice, in Europe. So many, many cities with a uh, small change in sea level, there can be big consequences for those cities. So there's a, so for the people who live in those areas that is vulnerable to sea level rise, uh, they if they plan on being there for the next you know five to ten years, they may not this may not affect them too much. But if their family has been there for generations, there may not be as many generations in the future as there has been in the past in terms yeah, of how long they because it just falls into the ocean. Yes, yes. So that's one area that has very direct and big consequence for, uh, for, for us humans. The other area is what you uh, alluded to, which is changing the ocean's uh, ecosystem and things living in and how the, our food supply, our source of protein. Right? And then uh, a third area, which is somewhat related to, what I, to the second area, is what's called ocean acidification. And what that is, is that literally the ocean's becoming more acidic. And the reason for that is that as we're dumping more and more carbon dioxide into the ocean, when it dissolves into the ocean, it forms an acid. And that, th- that process directly drives um, uh, the acidification of the ocean. So and that's caused by boats? Not, no, not just boats. All the carbon dioxide in an atmosphere. So when our cars, everything, cars, and yep. then it drops from. When how does they, it drop to the? How does it drop through the rain, through no, well, clouds, or? So the ocean mixes with the atmosphere. There's exchange of gas through the ocean surface. Right. So over time, whatever's in the atmosphere will be dissolved into the ocean, and then they will over some time scale could be uh, years. They'll reach equilibrium. So, so the, the information you gather will gather certain spots of the oceans will be worse in that than others? Is there like, or is that overall ocean? Like, this in other is, words, like it's a certain areas, like if you're next to Bangkok and the ocean there is completely, yep. the, is more it's, acidic than yep. the ocean it's, next to Jersey. It's a great, <laughs> which I doubt, but no, no. you know. It's a, it's a great question. And, and, and there is variability, like you said, in terms of where, where it's more <clears> acidic. Locations where it's cold, for example, like the Arctic Ocean, ocean acidification is more of an issue than places that's um, that's warmer that is in warmer area. Oh. Uh, and the reason for that is because um, cold water traps more gas, so you can huh. store more of these carbon dioxide in the cold water. I want to get to the point of why ocean acidification is, is very bad. Um, to us, we we'll go for a swimming ocean. That little bit of change won't matter very much. But for a lot of uh, organisms in the ocean, anything that forms shells, uh, bivalves, uh, shellfish, um, that require um, so, so a, 
uh, a, a element, uh, a, no, a chemical, a molecule in the ocean, um, the carbonate in the ocean to form their shells, when we increase the acidity, the availability of carbonate goes down and they cannot uh, form shell as easy, easily. Hmm. So that, that, that affects their physiology. They cannot protect themselves or they may need to spend way more of their energy to uh, maintain themselves. So that means less energy for finding mates, finding food. Uh, they'll be more susceptible to diseases. So, um, so it's, it's a big issue and, and, and it's a big concern for a lot of uh, fisheries in different areas. Um, so how can that be stopped? You gotta stop the carbon input into the ocean. That's the only real way of And how that. do we stop that? Boating, cars? You gotta stop emitting greenhouse gas, including uh, mainly carbon dioxide, into the ocean. Into and what the is the biggest form of, of that? So I just read this today. Um, currently in the U.S., two largest forms of carbon dioxide emission is um, uh, power generation and transportation, right? Mm -hmm. For the uh, past, since about the, um, 2008 when we had the economic recession, the input of carbon dioxide from power plant sources have gone down over, this, uh, uh, over the past eight years. Because of so. regulations? No, no, no that has, that's part of it. So economic activity has one, is one part. Another part is because Renewable energy has really taken off in terms of power generation. So um, uh, that's the good news with wind and solar power uh, becoming more and more popular and there's just a lot of investment in those areas. Yeah. Uh, we require less and less power from traditional fossil fuel sources, uh, coal power plants or, or oil power plants. So overall, that's a downward trend since that peak emission in the mid 2000s. Mm -hmm. So that's very good. In terms of the car, Transportations, there was also a peak at the same time, but it kind of dipped down and then now picking back up again. So um, this year is for the first time, based on that article I read, that um, uh, that car transportation emission has uh, exceeded uh, power plant uh, carbon emission since this first time since 1979. So I thought that was interesting. Um, Oh, I mean, if you look at it overall, since that 2005, both has more or less gone down. But it's a little bit um, cons concerning to see that the transportation is curving up again in the past few years. Because population is also more people driving. I think more, more has to do with the fact that gasoline is so cheap right. and, uh, and people are more relaxed in terms of uh, the type of car they want to buy. And they may be buying more few efficient cars and more performance-oriented cars. So it's a change in habit because of availability of relatively inexpensive fuel. Hmm. So that's my hypothesis. I don't know if, if, I don't have data to prove that, but I think that seems like it could be a possible. So you were talking about uh, essentially climate change and uh, fossil fuel emissions being a direct link to both the uh, warming and uh, acidification of the oceans. I think it's uh, kind of funny to mention now that uh, Bill Nye the Science Guy actually made a statement uh, where he was asked, I, I think it might have been a Reddit AMA, but don't quote me on that. Uh, he was asked, what's the most important issue that you wish you could educate everybody about right now? And his answer was actually climate change. And that's basically a, measuring the climate change comes a lot from what you do, the oceans. Yes. It really gives us an early warning about hey, what we're, where we're heading, what we should try to correct, also for the future of our children. You know, we want our children to actually, you know, grow up and know what a tuna is and be able to breathe the air and, and you know, live on the shoreline or whatever it may be. Like, the, you know, not to be so selfish Yep. And to look at many future and our children's children, right, which is a big concern. So, um, I mean, I got into science initially because I thought science, well, the, the reason I initially got into science was because I thought science was beautiful and that it 
help me to understand the beauty of nature uh, all, all around us. Um, but as I went through my career, um, I saw a lot of issues that face, that face our modern day world that, um, that science may offer insight and solution. And I uh, moved from areas that's um, a little more abstract, but nevertheless very beautiful to more applied areas. And that's how I got to the ocean. Um, and the ocean, I, will, I would love to have my kid experience the ocean like I did when I was growing up. And I'm, I'm afraid that maybe a couple generations, maybe my grandchildren, they may see a very different ocean. And if it's different in a very negative kind of way, that'll be very, very sad. And, and, and it will also affect who, what we do living on land. Yeah. The ocean will have a direct effect on us, besides what's on our dinner plate. Yeah, and and from a generation to generation perspective, there's this uh, well-known concept, well-known um, thing called shifting baseline, which is your baseline understanding of what the ocean is changes from generation to generation. And what I see the ocean as normal by my grandparents' standard or by people from 200 years ago. Let me see. This is a desolate ocean. Or how can you how can you live with this? This is so 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 few empty. things in. I'm so empty. Yeah, empty. But like I know, know Thailand depleted their oceans. Now they they have no yeah. fishing, and it used to be great for fishing. Now they actually go down in scuba gear and move nets along the bottom to catch anything, which yeah. is very sparse. They just yep. just to feed the families and whatnot. And there was, uh, the saddest thing I heard about lately is this, um, the death of coral reefs in the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. You probably might have seen that in the news. Mm -hmm. And there's this Bleaching. massive death of coral reefs. I mean, it's, uh, coral reef is a, um, it's an ecosystem itself. And there's so many different types of fish. Everything, so many. It's the, like the hub. The hub. When it comes there. The biodiversity. The <laughs> you know? all the all the fish. The tropical fish. They come there to to live and to mate and to to, to grow. And um, <coughs> if the reef dies, suddenly you it's like a, you lost a city. Yeah. You know. And uh, and it's scary to hear <clears throat> the number of reef that is dying all around the world. And the and cause of that is, um, besides poachers, <coughs> most. I mean, I haven't, I have not followed that specific research on why this, but most likely is warming, where right uh, that will result in, um, uh, and ocean acidification also affect that. Right, as what, well, the so. thing that you're studying, yeah. Yeah, but uh, mainly warming. Yeah, when it gets too hot, the uh, the things that keep the fish alive, the organisms keep. The, and the fish alive leave or dies, and then the reef dies. Yeah, something, something about the uh, the culture that is in the uh, the culture of bacteria in the coral polyps leaves yeah, the, the coral, and the coral bleaches and dies. Yeah, because it's too warm. It's kind of yeah. like what we're doing with our also uh, our rainforest and whatnot. There's when the cure for a lot of diseases is there. And also, a lot of new diseases are there. And as we destroy things that are in the, the reef or the rainforest, we're releasing new diseases into the world. We're also destroying any cures that we can yep. have for old diseases in the world. So that relates to right. the, the, probably, uh, the last thing about climate change I mentioned, which is the loss of biodiversity. And that will directly relate to um, what you said about having... S s Right, something's sources. comfortable on a mushroom all its life, and then all of a sudden we destroy it, and then it, yeah. it, well, humans are pink and fleshy, let's jump on that and live on them for a little bit, and then we also destroyed the cure, yep. the possible cure for that. And diseases yep. exactly. are becoming so strong yep. that our antibiotics and stuff like that are, they're just adapting, uh, yeah. which is amazing, you know, but the more we destroy our reefs, the more we destroy uh, the warming effects I mean, the more we overpopulate and, and, and cause, like these flash floods and stuff are caused a lot by our construction and what we're doing. All right, so you're trying to get a handle on that 
Yeah. As far as, hey, man, we got to stop. That's where you come in and you're yep. giving the statistics. So this is what we need to change is what we need to do. This is what all the groups of scientists are trying to say. Hey, man, th- you know, you want to see a shark. Yep. Not coming at you, but you want to see a shark. So, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So uh, as a <laughs> scientist, I, um, I'm an observer. So I'm there to observe the change in ocean. If I do my job right, I'm not going to impact the nature in more negative ways. Um, uh, yeah, like by going there and, and grabbing a big coral and taking it back to the lab. Exactly. You're yeah. studying it there. Yeah. So you're not touching it and <coughs> causing it to, you're yeah. careful about what you do. Yeah. But, you know, like the, it's not perfect. We, in order to go to places, some of the places we study, for example, when we go to Arctic or Antarctica, we need to set up these research stations and, and you know, everything in Antarctica is fueled by fossil fuel. All the research stations from any of the countries, you have to ship fuel down there. And it's very expensive. So you have these, uh, these uh, tanker, I mean, these, uh, these research vessels going down there that, you know, um, burns fuel and then you have, they have to store fuel on there. And so that's the, the only source of fossil fuel emission in Antarctica is from doing science. Uh, <laughs> granted, it's, it's a very small amount, and it's a big continent, but nevertheless, it's a fact. And, and similarly, in order to go to the Arctic to study, you have to set up an icebreaker. So unless you're a Russian, which owns a number of nuclear-powered uh, icebreakers, uh, you have to burn fossil fuel to get up there. So uh, that's the price of doing science. And, um, and we are, we as scientists, trying to, always trying to figure out ways to, to do better and to have be less impactful on nature. So some of the things I work with, for example, these robots, they are battery powered and uh, they consume way, way, way less fuel than any, any boat would. And they can be out for months, uh, potentially up to a year at a time. And, and they'll go there and sample along. And, and, and you collect data. And you collect data and they'll transmit the data back via satellite um, when they can surface. Uh, a, a big challenge for robot is how do you go under ice? You know, it's um, they they lost communication with the satellite. They don't know where they are, and being in the polar region, you also the, the, you know the magnetic poles <laughs> changes. So you don't know which way is north, and the ways that that you compensate is north is not necessarily the actual north. So there are a variety of technical challenges, and, and, and it's fun to, trying to solve them and come up with solutions. Um, but that's the other side of doing science, which is you got to figure out how you're going to do science and how to do it in a responsible way. I had a guy just recently invited me to teach uh, in Cambodia. Um, and he there's apparently a big reef out there, you know, a big barrier reef or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and um, I think one of the reasons he wanted to come out there to teach his groups of people and stuff is because there's a lot of poaching going on. And his thing there was not just protecting the reef, he, he was studying um, uh, seahorses. His, his big thing was, besides, but seahorses are, I guess, I guess whatever they are, amazing creatures. Mm-hmm. And uh, getting different things from the seahorses. And uh, the reef uh, was basically being uh, taken. Uh, by these poachers who are just trying to feed their families and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he's out there to put a stop. And the government's out there trying to also stop the poachers uh, from doing that. And uh, that's where the human uh, comes in. So uh, what I don't understand is if these reefs, like uh, we're just in the one, the barrier reef in uh, Australia, just weather, uh, what, what are we doing to safeguard that? What are we doing to stop that from happening? And what, are, what is your process? Like you could say, well, yeah, it's heating up. So if Earth is heating up and it's destroying our reefs, which are going to directly affect us, our rainforests as well, every, everything, that both land and in the ocean, what are we doing or what are you guys doing to give us warning to say, hey, man, we need to stop this? You know, our, and, you know, humans... Us by nature are like barracuda. We like shiny things. You know, uh, we're not willing to give up our McDonald's and Burger Kings. We're not willing to give up our cars. Um, we're not willing. And then you do have cars that are great. Uh, these electric cars that are coming out that are really phenomenal. I just drove in a Tesla, 
which is just, it's like, I feel like I'm on a Batmobile. <laughs> but they're charging, the, the guy paid for it, uh, Zach paid like uh, $220,000 or $120,000 for this car. Yep. It's like, and then they have cheaper cars that look like, you know, like little, like toys. You know, and, and to be honest, I like cars. You know, when I get in a car, I want to hear the engine go vroom. But I, I thought the Tesla was great, but hey, it's great for the future and whatever it is, but you're charging me $120,000 for a freaking car. So if things have to change in emissions and stuff, then we also have to change how much companies are charging people to have a really cool car. So I don't mind going out and spending, for me, I'll go out and I'll spend $75,000 for a car, like a Tesla. Well, Tesla you know, Model 3, Seafood. Well, I'm just saying, I don't know much about them, but I'm saying they're cool cars, yeah. you know, uh, but make them more affordable. Maybe people need to spend like 20000 or, you know, like an average family who's yep. supporting... Well, that's just an economic cycle thing. Yeah. Whenever a new technology comes out, it's always, for at least most people, prohibitively expensive. And unless you really want it, there's some forerunners who like, got to have that, or people who have the money. And then the more they produce, the cheaper it gets to produce them, typically. Yeah. So, so, I mean, you asked the trillion dollar question, Sifu. Like, we need to be on that more. People, companies need to be on that more. Government needs to be on that it's, more. It's, it's everyone. Yeah, it's, everybody. I mean, and I mean, humans are just greedy. So, selfish and oblivious, I would say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't have to when end the session on a, on a, on on a negative that, note. On, yeah. on a negative note that says. No, negative's cool. Humans are greedy. <laughs> negative's cool. That's, um, it. that's what that's what we're about. We're showing what we are. I'm 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 telling you, like if I had a choice to go out and buy a low end, uh, like say a fifteen thousand dollar electric car, and it's sitting next to a um, um, high horsepower Mustang that sounds like a gorilla coming down the road, I'm taking the Mustang. You know, I'm I'm going for that car. I want something that it's cool that I feel good in. I don't want to be zipping around something that's going. Zzz. It's like I like Harley Davidsons. I don't like Suzuki's. You know, but back in the day, yeah. now Suzuki's are or whatever. They're like, you know, they're, they're very fast, and some of them sound like you know they're coming. You know, uh, if I'm sure if you ask a Civil War general whether they want a. Ford Model T or a nice horse, they'll say, oh, well, give me a nice horse. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on where you're at, but so, most people are going to look at things different. So we have to change, we have to change our aesthetics, you know, and we have to change our technology that's going to allow us to accommodate Absolutely. nature. Here's a, here's a very good example of changes in technology that has affected our um, carbon footprint as individuals. 20 years ago, there was only that desktop PCs. Each one of them burned 200 watt, 300 watt. And uh, people used to brag, oh, I have a bigger power supply so I can put a bigger graphics card in there. But nowadays, most people, most of the time, use smartphones and tablets. And they consume a teeny fraction of what desktop PCs used to consume. Hmm. I wouldn't even so, that, you know. So that's a way, uh, that's a uh, example of where um, technology, just through market force and through advancement in features and in uh, usability and um, in user interface, has led to a reduction in the average uh, uh, power consumption. Um, so, 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 so I, I, w I want to. Um, well, if you were yeah. going to sum up. Yep. Because we're gonna have to come to yep. a close, right? If you were gonna sum up what you know, what's going on, and what you what you're trying to accomplish, how how would you put that? We already got an idea that you you know you think nature's pretty. I, well, you know, like how how would you sum up with what I don't you're want trying to, to do? I don't want to sum up by saying what I'm trying to accomplish, but I, I do want to bring up two points uh, to think about how we as uh, as a as a human race, go forward in this in today's. Uh, what about era. as individuals? As individuals, as human race, and as individuals, the first is for problems. All the problems we're facing today, in terms of climate and whatever, there are easy ways of doing short-term fixes, and then there are much harder, longer-term, real fixes, and it's up to us now to decide. Do we want to continue things as they are and then reach the critical stage where, 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 
or people just grab the first solution that's, that comes to them? Or do we want to act now and choose the long-term real fix that has the, uh, that has the most beneficial impact on the longer term? So what can an individual do now? Like, what could we, the four of us that are in this room, do now to contribute to any type of change? So here's um, one example. I'll, I'll, uh, for example, in Virginia, we have this uh, Dominion Power, which generates power from a variety of different sources. But they sell this thing called renewable energy credits. And what that does is that you can buy these credits for all the power you need in your house. And they'll guarantee that that amount of power will come will be coming from renewable sources. Could be uh, wind, solar, biomass, or whatever it is. Is there a website? For yes. That? So yes, it means you can go, you can, anybody can sign up. The cost of that is about ten to twenty percent more for electricity. So it's a conscious decision, but for majority of the people, it's affordable. It's, it it's costs a little more, but so it's affordable. So what about maintenance? What if you're Maintenance, your electric goes no, down in your house and it's not working. Who do you call? And no, come and nothing fix that? changes. Nothing changes for you. So PSE and G still coming to fix your stuff? Yeah. So nothing changes. They just simply guarantee that whoever has the whoever, if you buy these credits, that amount of energy will be coming from renewable sources. But you're buying it through them. Through them. So yes. so they so are you're not buying it through PSE and G anymore. So no, who's the mechanics? You are. Oh, so PSCNG is is this this company? Yes. It's so a, it's affiliated whatever, whatever whoever provides your electricity yep. goes uses these credits. So if everyone, so if you do have a problem, you still call. Yeah, absolutely. You can call the maintenance yeah, yeah. guy. They yep. still come in and fix it. Yep. You're not going through a middleman to yep. try and get They're something done. They're using the extra money because these energy sources aren't as readily available yeah. or as cheap. See, that's cool. Yeah. So. That's a cool thing to do. Anybody can, I mean, I encourage all customers to consider at least, and if you think it's affordable to you and that you know climate change is an issue that you're concerned about, seriously consider doing something like this. Now, this is not the only way to do things. There's, you can, uh, you can uh, for example, Solar City will be, or, or uh, places like um, Sun Power, they'll come to your house, they can potentially lease your roof, and then They'll put solar panels. I know a lot of people yeah. that are doing that now. Yeah, so that's another way where you can uh, have even pay less for electricity cost. You're simply just leasing a roof off. Yeah, but off. it costs so much to do it. No, not up front. So up front, it costs a lot to put solar to panels you. and stuff. Not yeah. to you. If you're not leasing not, your if, roof. If you're leasing a roof, they, do the, they cover the installation cost. Oh, okay, okay, and I they, see what you're saying. Yeah. All right. So... Um, because I had a friend that just uh, put solar power in, yeah. and it was phenomenally expensive. Yeah. He didn't do that lease thing. Yeah. And he told me, like, in about maybe eight years, it's really got to benefit yeah. him. But he has to get to that point, and he still has to use mixed. I mean, quite honestly, that leasing sounds cool, but the credit thing for a little extra money uh, if, seems to be the way to go. If everyone you know? demands it, the utility power will be forced to fundamental shift in how they obtain their power. Right, like Ben was saying, when technology first comes out with the cars, everything's really expensive, eventually it becomes, you know, like a light bulb. And, and you just right now we've reached a stage where the renewable energy sources from solar and powers, if not already at the same cost as, as uh, traditional petrol, uh, fossil fuel sources. Hmm. There's only, the, the only hmm. reason why we have so much <coughs> more fossil fuels still compared to renewables because they've been there longer. Right. And they have more infrastructure for that. So they we now just need to incentivize the power companies to change that. And, and it wouldn't cost them any extra to build, you know, uh, to get generate the same amount of power from these renewable sources versus traditional fossil fuels. Yeah, fuel well, sources. you got to figure the fossil fuel companies aren't going to like that. <coughs> well, sure. You know, but so they have to either invest their money into in this type of new technology and get away from the fossil fuel. And, but, uh, so this relates to old this money. Old money, but this will come to my uh, other point, which is the type of solution that we we seek in terms of the long-term, hard but correct way of doing things versus the short-term, uh, simple fix that that may have unintended consequences. Um, an example would be, well, in order to truly affect climate change on the long term, you simply have to lower your carbon your carbon emission. Your uh, uh, um, carbon dioxide, CO, CO2, methane, all that. 
And the only way to do that is to move away from fossil fuel sources. And that is hard because most of the wor world is powered by fossil fuel sources, these uh, carbon uh, fuels, based fuel. But to do it the short way, which may be easier, people talk about things like geoengineering, where you might be changing the upper atmosphere's reflectivity by putting aerosol in the, into the atmosphere. You might think about uh, building walls, seawalls around cities that they don't care about how many feet of sea level rise you are. So um, building seawalls around city, okay, you're not going to affect anybody else except people living in the city. You just need to be concerned about storms. But there's a lot of unintended. <laughs> Everything fills up like a fishbowl. Exactly. Oh, no. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but <laughs> if you're changing the the um, radiative budget of the Earth for everyone, then that can affect everything and anyone in ways that you may not understand and. And you, it's impossible to predict the long-term impact of that is. Mm -hmm. And that truly scares me, geoengineering do the, being done the wrong way. And I can see that the people who will come in and offer these solutions, which at the surface and on the short term might sound appealing to a public that may not know much about them, but over the long term, that can have lasting and this damage. Is where the science to comes in. Science comes doing, in, right. and I, I'm, I'm afraid the people who will do that are the very, com very companies that does the initial damage. Right. Of course. And they'll say, "We will. We have these billions of dollars, and we'll build this thing for you that will save Earth." And people will say, "Let's do it." Scientists have been saying we need to do something about it. Now people coming to do it. Why can't we do this? And I. I will be there the first to say, hold on a second, wait a second, this is really scary. we got to really understand this. But by then it will be too late. People will say, you guys are the ones who said, let's do something about this. And now some, now we want to do something, you just say, don't. I don't want to have that discussion. But I'm afraid that might be down the line. Hmm. So we really got to think carefully about what is the right way to deal with climate change. And there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And the wrong way is the barracuda. It's a short-term fix, right. right? But those uh, companies are gonna—they're gonna offer that to <coughs> save their infrastructure, so yeah. they don't—they want to stick to the way right. things the, are going. The people that are in power want to stay in power. Imagine, you, you know, if you, you offer a global solution, how much money you can make? Yeah, I'm saying my solution's global. You know, you can really, you, can, you know, it's just you can't teach you an can, old dog. All the countries tricks. pay up. That's it. Do you guys, uh, mm -hmm. do you guys ever read um, the Gods Themselves by Isaac Asimov? I, I know, but I have not read it. Yeah, he, uh, he goes into, um, for, for the readers, Asimov is like one of the gods of sci-fi writing. Um, but he uh, goes into this one rant in the book where, you know, the main character who's the scientist who's figured out that humanity's ultimately infinite energy source is destroying our solar system slowly uh, he finds this out and he goes to the people who run this this thing called the pump right and uh, he says to the guy you know we have to shut off the pump and he tells him lays out the whole entire thing and uh, and the guy says well what can we do to immediately fix this and also still maintain the pump because you can't just go to the public and say, oh, everybody has to go back to work now because we don't have the energy to power the robots that do everything for everybody anymore. And the main character doesn't understand because it's, they're faced with the destruction of everything that we know or not that. And you know, it's, it's black and white. Uh, and the executive that he's talking to uh, goes on this long rant where basically he says, you know, back in the 20s when people figured out that, uh, or 20s to 50s, whenever it was, when people figured out that uh, cigarettes give you cancer, did people stop smoking? No. People wanted us to invent cigarettes that don't give you cancer. People are about their comforts and keeping their comforts. Yeah, comfort zones. Actually, that's a great topic for our next topic. Uh, I would love to talk about comfort zones, but that's a scary topic. That's scary.
especially in training in the arts. Uh, the conversation I just had with Ben today, I gave him uh, something that I want to work on uh, that's definitely going to maybe cause him to leave his comfort zones. But I got an exercise. He's got an exercise. And uh, let's, let's clap it off today on that, and we'll go into comfort zones. But don't lie, I want to thank you for practicing the arts and coming here, and uh, hopefully we'll see you here again. It's my pleasure. You know, Thanks. and uh, we'll get things going. And uh, goodbye to everybody. Bye. And uh, we'll see you soon. Okay. Bye. I think this is the first time we've ever said goodbye. <laughs> no, I think we said goodbye. Well, you weren't here that last night. I think we said goodbye the last one, too. Yeah. I don't even know what the hell we were talking about in the last one. Hey, everyone. Sifu and I just wanted to let you know that the website is up. It's systemswithinsystems.com. That's all one word. If you're in the central New Jersey area and looking to train, you can email us at sws.kungfu at gmail for private or small group lessons, or you can just come down to the school on Monday nights from 6.30 to 9. If you're looking for a phone consultation with Sifu, you can reach us at the same email, sws.kungfu at gmail. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Take care.